Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Oh, hello! Welcome to Ruined, a podcast where you ruin a horror movie just for you. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And you might think, well, if you're watching the video, is half my hair short? No, it's just behind my shoulder. Oh, wow. What a trick. Terrifying. Can you believe your own eyes? I did. Uh, In between our two recordings, uh, (laughs) my hairstylist, the wonderful Caroline, look her up on Instagram, Caroline. She's the one who dyed my hair, uh, the Hot Topic Pink. Speaking of which, Hot Topic reached out to us, and we need to reach back. Wait, they did? Yes, on Instagram. Hot Topic, thank you so much for messaging us. Oh, my God. And um, we will absolutely get in touch with you. Yes. And um, I don't know what kind of collab it could be. It's a perfect partnership. Made just a hell. free uh, corn uh, T-shirt. I would absolutely take that. Would take. But um, yes, in between recordings, uh, my hairstylist came over and just cut my bangs. And um, you know, great. here we are. Thank you, Allison. How you doing? I mean, good. I just uh, saw you two hours ago. Not to pull back the curtain too much on how this podcast gets made. <laughs> the reveal. <gasps> we record sometimes twice in a day uh, with a break in between to do other stuff. <laughs> I went to the pool. Um, I um, um I uh, I'm drinking a glass of wine. Yeah, I'm having um, a beer. I opened up some Trader Joe's snacks. I got my I got my bangs cut. That was pretty much it. That's great. I went swimming and then I um quickly made some oven chicken nuggets and now I'm having Ugh. a nice Mexican lager. I mean, this is a Saturday, right? This is what I yeah, want for my is life. A Saturday. Um. Um. So we are uh we are continuing our haunted house month yes. and um it's going swimmingly and this week we're doing a I think a lesser known um movie well, in the yeah. genre. Before we get to that, can we um plug our oh, Patreon? Absolutely, we can. You guys, uh this is a regular episode, but if you're listening to this on Patreon, um it's less in the future than the people who are listening to this on whatever platform they listen to podcasts. Um but if you have not checked out the Patreon yet, patreon.com slash ruined podcast. We got a lot of stuff going on. You guys were so great. Like, just reading the comments on stuff is so fun. It feels very live show. Um, but we've got extra episodes, ad-free episodes, live show tickets. They're down the road some merch. We're going to try and do different stuff. Uh, but we do have, um, I guess, a, a goal. <laughs> right. It's my one and only life goal at this point. Yeah. And that goal is, of course, if we get our Patreon to 1,000 members, Allison and I will spend the night in the Lizzie Borden house, um, which is now a frightful Airbnb based on yes. its website, and we will record our experience. And you know I'm bringing a Ouija board. You know oh, I am. We are yeah. doing remote writing. We are going to try to get in yes. touch with... Like you should. If you're going to get in touch with ghosts, please get in touch with um, a murderer or potentially just accused murderer. I know the debate still rages. Yes. And as of right now, we are we are over uh, 400 uh, Patreon subscribers. Yeah, we on 500. So we're halfway to this um, quote-unquote goal of and ours. I, mean, I am um, not happy. But I'm I, thrilled. But I, I'd listen, love to see you guys rise to the challenge and ruin my life. Be, 
if you're an early listener, you remember that when we did Candyman two, over two years ago now, um, that I had Allison look into a mirror and summon Candyman. And we're going to be doing all sorts of goofery such as that if we end up Did not um, like hitting a thousand. And I genuinely, it'd also just be nice to see you in, in person. And um, I know. Yeah, I, I simply can't wait. So uh, if you are still on the fence and would like to drive Allison to potentially the brink of madness and or to be possessed by the <laughs> ghost of Lizzie Borden. A murdering child. We would absolutely love for you to join us. And um, yeah, um, thank you so much to those who have signed up. And we, yes. um, if you could believe it, Allison has finally signed out, figured out how to sign out of the Patreon and I soon will figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, if you can guess, someone else has been running it for us so far, but we are trying to get in the mix and chat more um, and and just seeing everybody, you know, I know I know a lot of you came in and joined because of Human Centipede and um, that's fucked up, but <laughs> but we love you for it. And we're definitely going to do, again, like I said, I think it'd be really good to do uh, movies that are available on streaming. So if yes. you feel curious or you are someone who can watch a movie, you could go ahead and watch there. But I do like the fucked up ones, and you guys loved Human Centipede. So obviously, we're not going to go that hard every month. And no. even even on those months, like we'll still have obviously, like we'll make sure the other movie is not a viscerally disgusting yes. one. You know, I we'll understand have a miss. if you like this podcast, it does not mean that you want to hear about somebody's face being sewn to someone else's asshole. But yes, um, we'll try and keep a nice, fun mix, and and maybe even uh, start venturing into the world of spooky television, which I think. Um, Lots of people have asked for, and I think that we really want to try and do so. It's all a matter of like how to make that work, but that's all coming. So get in, yeah. get involved, and uh, thank you to those who have already patron patreoned us. We love you very much. We love and you very much. Um, yeah, speaking of staying overnight in Lizzie Borden's house, and again, Allison's body being inhabited by the ice cold presence of Lizzie Borden herself, potentially okay. forever. We don't know how possession works. Um, oh, that's uh, a great point. Um, we'd like to bring you this week's movie, which, of course, is 1986's House. House. Um, now, Allison, had you ever heard of this movie before? No, I had not. Oh, the, my only like familiarity with anything called House is the uh, medical procedural with Hugh Right. Lloyd. And I would say this is the least medical um, <laughs> movie you could you could achieve. I think it's definitely um, uh, uh, we have some great uh, cast members in the film. Uh, the main character is played by William Cat, who plays in the movie Carrie. He he plays Tommy Ross, so the guy who asked oh. for the prom. Um, and also we have George Went, famously from from Cheers. He's phenomenal in the, phenomenal in this movie. And um, just sort of a nice mix of 80s stars, um, for sure. Yeah, and we always 80s like, vibe. We always like to have Allison watch the trailer. And Allison, what are your thoughts about the house trailer? I mean, it seems like what it is, which is bad house. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just real a lot of hijinks in the house. A lot of hijinks. A, like lot, a lot of hijinks. A lot of falling down the stairs yeah, due to supernatural like reasons. Humbling. Yeah. But, uh, you know, lovely house. <laughs> um, the trailer, the tagline, rather, for house is ding dong, you're dead. And I think that really <laughs> perfectly sums it up. That's an excellent tagline for what I think <laughs> this movie is and for really any movie. And we also take a, like, take a baseline scary. So, Allison, how scary do you find the concept of intentionally moving into a haunted house? Oh. Um, I don't know. You're kind of 
setting yourself up for something. Like, if you move in Mm -hmm. being like, it's haunted, and I guess it depends on, like, who says that and what evidence there is. Like, if it's just, like, one random person being like, I heard it's haunted, it's like, okay, well, so is everything then in that case. But, like, if somebody has presented real, tangible evidence of haunting in a house, I don't know why you would live in that house. Allison, what if you knew for a fact the house was haunted? No. But you had a very compelling reason to try to stay there. Is the reason financial? No, it is familial. No, I'm out. There's nothing, I'm sorry. I mean, financial makes more sense than family. I love my family or whatever, but like, I'm not staying in a haunted house just because like somebody used to live there or something. That's that's fair. I love my family or whatever. Put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. I love my family or whatever. Or whatever. Um, Well, with that in mind, um, based on what you've seen in the trailer, Allison, would you like to guess the twist? the twist. Uh, Now having that information, I'm going to guess that the haunting is a relative of the person who lives there. Like they're being haunted. Like the house is like taken over by the spirit of the leads, like parents or sister or something, like some some blood relative that they maybe didn't get along with and Mm, there's some kind of bad blood. Okay, all right. I like where where you're going with this. I love the word blood. I love the word blood for this, not in general. So let us begin by ruining 1986's house. And let me just say up top, this was directed by Steve Miner, and it was co-written with Miner and Fred Decker. And Fred Decker wrote some sort of their horror comedies, very famous Night of the Creeps and The Monster Squad, which is also written by Shane Black. Um, so I feel like this movie is a horror comedy, but it really struggles to define itself as such. Mm. I feel like they, it was like they wanted to handle tough topics, but then they wanted to have a lot of goofery, a lot of um, yes, weird yes, puppet yes. items, a lot of like um, creatures. <laughs> that Mary J song, I feel like goofery and dancery are of the same um entomological DNA. And there is a lot of hateration in this goofery. I will say that. <laughs> There's a lot of bad blood. Um, and so uh, I, I just want to set that up in case you're like, sure. well, how, what is the tone? Is this a horror comedy? Is this a real serious uh, horror movie? That is a question the movie itself never really resolves, but we could have a lot of fun in the meantime. <clears throat> we open on spooky shots of a gigantic Victorian home. We've, we're talking wraparound porch, turrets, Ooh, eaves. Turrets. Other house words I don't know. And we also see there's a beautiful um, guest house and sort of a shed. And this was shot in Monrovia, California. And I do think it's funny to have, like, a Victorian— Obviously, they had to build out this house. Yes. Um, It is brilliant blue sky day for most of this movie. (laughs) Like, he has, like, people are jogging. People are walking their dogs. It's so clearly in, like, a regular California suburb. But the house looks like you're in, again, like a Stephen King, like you're in Maine or something. Like, gorgeous home. Yes. You know, we should all be so lucky. We see a grocery delivery teen who drives up on his scooter to drop off the groceries to the woman who lives in the house, Mrs. Hooper. Unfortunately, Allison, when he knocks on the door, the front door just sort of swings open. One of those. You said it. (laughs) I did say it. (laughs) I mean, that was perfect. It was like you were there. And he tentatively wanders inside, calling for her. 
And he says, wisely, he's like, I'm going to leave the groceries in the entryway and you can pay me next week. You know, I don't want to wander around this lady's house. No, who would? Of course, Allison, he hears a thud from upstairs and he's a good person, so he has to investigate. And honestly, yeah, I'll be like, and I'm closing the door. I will call the police to come check on this lady. Yes. On the way up the stairs, we see this very surreal, very graphic, very 80s painting of nude people dancing in flames and then sort of being buried alive or like consumed by like sort of like a, um, a, an insect mouth in a Salvador Dali style. <coughs> and that's what I, that was my reaction. Yeah, real cough city, <laughs> USA. Um, okay, well, that's awful. He goes into a bedroom and he, he opens the door. And he sees there's furniture overturned, a lamp is broken, and he hears a thud from the other room. And he walks in, and it's um, Mrs. Hooper's bedroom. Unfortunately, Mrs. Hooper's body is dangling from a noose, having died oh, by no. suicide. He oh, runs no. out of the house. Horrifying. Yeah, you gotta. At her funeral, which where it's torrentially raining, again, very California, of course, like torrentially raining at this funeral— and we meet um, Mrs. Hooper's nephew, author Roger Cobbs, and who knew her as his Aunt Elizabeth. And I thought because the um, the main character is a horror author, I was like, well, this must be based on a Stephen King property. Yes, that feels very likely. No? It is It is not. Just something else? It is It is not. It's an original. But it is in keeping. This is probably what was popping off in the 80s. You know what I mean? 1986, Stephen King was all over these movies. Yes, true. So they're like, oh, what is his main character? Oh, he's a horror author. Sure. Um, so he's there, and there's only two other friends of Miss Hooper, who he knows as his Aunt Elizabeth. And a priest prays over her coffin. And one of the other two attendees, uh, Mr. Jones, says to Roger, I just don't think Elizabeth would have done this. You know, like, maybe she was getting a little senile, but there were no signs she would have, you know, committed suicide. Like, I just don't think so. And Roger also seems to agree, but he's also got a lot of other stuff going on. Okay, for example, we see him at a signing for his book. It's his last book. It's called Blood Dance. Great name for a horror uh, novel. Very good name for a horror novel. And the fans are like one freak after the other, just coming up and like slobbering all over him. It's like, this is the best book ever. You're my favorite author. I love you so much. <laughs> and one of them asks, what's your next book going to be about? You know, I was trying to get a scoop. And Roger said, it's going to be a memoir about my experience in Vietnam. And everyone's like, ugh, a real life? No one gives a fuck about that. We're not here for actual right. horror. We're here for some made-up blood dance stuff. Yes. Um, one of the other fans um, asks, are you really married to Sandy Sinclair, the soap star? And he tells her, we were, but we're divorced now. So not only it's like, you were in Vietnam, and also, I, you know, like, my divorce, my marriage just fell apart. Thank you for asking me about it. Yeah. Um, After the signing, his book agent, Frank, chides him because his next book is already overdue to uh, Doubleday. Who's like, if you do not have a draft or something I can show them by the end of this month, you will have to pay your advance back. And you don't want to do that. I know. That is a big fear. And Frank says, you've already lost your wife. Don't piss away your career. And I'm like, Frank! And then while we're at it, Frank says, and by the way, no one wants to read about the goddamn Vietnam War anymore. And it's like, okay, all right, give him a break. Roger says, I'm a writer. I feel like I need to write about this. I'm going to write it. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't. I just need to yeah. put this down on paper. Right. 
And they do a good job of, like, Roger going home. And it's, like, a little, like, tiny bachelor pad that he obviously just moved into. And it's, like, everything's really cramped. And he opens up, of course, a Diet Coke. And he has a fridge full of frozen meals to, like, defrost. Bachelor life. And then sit down at this gigantic computer on his little desk and just stares at the screen. It's like, been there, girl. Too familiar. In lieu of writing, Allison, Roger calls the FBI and asks to speak to Agent Thatcher. He gets, you know, through to him eventually. Allison, we find out that Roger's son has gone missing. And I was like— It's one hit after another on this guy. I mean— And also, if you're Doubleday and you're one of your author's son, who is a child, you know, it's not like it's like— I mean, it would be sad enough if it was an adult, but uh, under 10, you know, or at least under 12, you should get an extension on your deal if your son has disappeared and they do not know where he is. Like, that's insane. You can't be like, and could you get us a manuscript? Like, no. Unacceptable. And also, like, um, uh, Frank can fuck off. You know, like, you're like, oh, we need the book. It's like, you know that now he got divorced. But also, how about you find me a new son before I get you a new book? You know, you piece of shit. Um, And the FBI agent is no better. He's like, listen, we don't have any news. And can you please stop pestering Agent Decker, the CIA? If my kid goes missing, I'm calling the CIA. Yo, fuck you. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Fuck everyone in this movie so far. Yeah. Like, like how are you supposed to do anything if your child is missing and everyone is talking to him like, we haven't found him. Like, give us a break. No. I don't like any of that. And then uh, he gets a call and it's from his ex-wife, Sandy. And obviously, like, their marriage fell apart because of their son disappearing. But she's at what seems to be the Golden Globes. Like, it's an award show. For and soaps. For soaps. And, daytime um, Emmys? And also, I'm going to say daytime. You're right. Daytime, she's at the Daytime Emmys. She lost Allison. And she called to tell him and sort of check in on him. But also, it's like, you're going to the Daytime Emmys with your son missing? Don't. I would just be like, I'm just going to sob in yeah, the I audience, be able to like, be, what are you talking about? You know? I want to be able to be like, okay, like, put on a dress and talk to your coworkers and industry people. I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to sit at home and I'm going to cry. That's how I would do it. So, yeah. So, everyone in this movie is insane and not behaving appropriately. And, you know, he tells her, I think I'm going to go up to Aunt Elizabeth's house. And she's like, you have to stop torturing yourself. Allison, as we find out, their son, we find out his name is Jimmy, disappeared at Aunt El- uh, Elizabeth's house. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, so okay. the house is the site of the son's disappearance. But also, of course, he's going to want to go back there. He's yes. going to want to try to figure out, like, what could he What happened? Out, you know? Where could he have gone? Who could have taken him? Yeah. Um. So Sandy says, you know, I got your message. I'm so sorry about your aunt passing away. And, you know, I'd love to talk to you. But, of course, she gets rushed away on the red carpet. She's so busy at the daytime Emmys. And she had Ro- a cell phone? She's on a payphone in the lobby of wherever they have the daytime <laughs> Emmys. And they hurry it off, hurry her off. And um, Roger turns on his stereo as if there's like music, like he's at like a fun poker night. He's like, no problem. I had spoken out with the guys. Hey guys, come on in, crack a beer. You know them. They're going to be, we're going to be going to do stuff all night. And it's like, no. It's, it's you're, the lie you're I alone. tell when I order a lot of food and then I act like there's a lot of hey people guys, in my apartment. Hey yeah, guys, how many pizzas do you like, want to get? I'm like, guys, 12? there's so okay. many forks in these bags. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Thank well, God. there's one fork for everyone, I hope. I hope there's enough. Yeah. That night, Allison, Roger wakes up in a panic and out of a dream in which his son, Jimmy, who's, I'm going to say eight, I don't know. He's playing outside in the backyard of Aunt Elizabeth's house and a dead gray corpse hand shoots up, shoots up out of the ground and grabs him. Obviously. Roger immediately gets up and he starts packing a suitcase to go to Aunt Elizabeth's house. 
um, which has just gone on sale with Craven Realty, which is, of course, a tribute to the director, um, Wes. Wes Craven. And he meets a realtor, Mr. Parker, who's like, oh, I'm so excited. Like, people are going to love this house. Like, we're going to have the auction next week and get rid of a lot of her stuff. But, oh, my God. I mean, a, a dream. You know what I mean? We're going to get a buco box for this here. And we walk around, they see his, um, Roger's uncle, who was never named, was a, used to be a fisherman. So he has a huge mounted swordfish in the living room, among other mounted fish. Okay. And um, the realtor's like, oh my God, like people are going to love that. When Roger tells Mr. Parker that he actually grew up part of his childhood in the house, when his mother died, he moved into the house and Aunt Elizabeth and the uncle raised him. And Roger looks out. There's a pool in the backyard. It's California. Of course, she has a pool in the backyard. Nothing like a Victorian with a pool in the backyard. Yeah, really, really all makes sense. And he remembers the day that Jimmy disappeared. So Allison, Roger was trimming the bushes while Sandy worked in the house on something. He turns around in a split second. Jimmy was like playing trucks on the yard. Mm -hmm. Gone. And he looks back and he sees that Jimmy is in the pool drowning. However, when he jumps in the pool, Jimmy disappears entirely. There's no body. There's nothing. He's just gone. What is this pool? Roger comes out of his sort of reverie. Mr. Parker shows him, um, you know, oh, here's the guest house. He's like, this is, so basically the guest house was being used as Anna Elizabeth's studio. But Mr. Parker's like, my nephew Monty could get in here, refurbish it into a full guest house. Honestly, somebody could lease out the big house and just live in the guest house and just, like, make that money. So he's, like, thinking ahead. And um, uh, Mr. Parker picks up the uncle's um, harpoon gun that he used to fight uh, fish with. And he's sort of examining it, and he says to Roger, so what happens to your uncle? And Roger starts, ah, well, he was fishing for abalone off the coast of Point Reyes. Allison, Mr. Parker accidentally shoots the harpoon gun and the spear or harpoon fl- flies into the walls inches from Roger's face. Okay, no. And Mr. Parker's like, sorry. And it's like played as a goof. It's like, like he whoops. would be dead. His corpse would be in there now. Yes. Um, so while they're in there, they see there's like a bunch of like paint, half-finished paintings of Aunt Elizabeth. And there's the one that she was reading uh, or finishing. And they're very su- surreal, Dali-esque works, you know. And so in the painting, she is going through an open door, which Roger recognizes as her closet door. There's a giant stopwatch, and there's a grandfather clock that's ringing midnight. There's also a sink filling with blood, and oh. then a mirror above the sink. But, of course, there's a rag draped over the mirror part. So, of course, we're going to come back here later and pull that off and see who's in the mirror and find out something important. Obviously. Um. And Roger's like, wow, you know, like the closet she's walking into, that's the room where she died. It's almost like she was painting, you know, maybe she was suicidal and this is she was painting sort of what where she was at mentally. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Parker says, morbid little woman, wasn't she? The woman I mean, died. Have some decency. Be nice. And Roger tells Mr. Parker, my aunt thought the house was haunted. And Mr. Parker's like, yeah, I can't blame her. It gives me the creeps, you know. We cut back to the day Jimmy died. The cops are telling Roger and Sandy that Jimmy couldn't have just disappeared. Like, someone must have grabbed him. And when Roger did run out to the street, he heard tires squealing away. Okay. So, like, we're so sorry. But- like, evidence of that yeah. way. However, he's like, I jumped in the pool and he disappeared. The cops are saying, you heard tires squeal away. I'm so sorry. Someone probably did take him. And Elizabeth butts in to say, it was a house. It was the house that took him and the house who did it. And Sandy, who's already so devastated, flips out. And she's like, shut up. Why don't you shut up for what's your old bet? 
obviously. I mean, which is what you would say to somebody whose suggestion for what happened to your missing child is yeah. house. Right. Also, like, what would that mean? Where did he yeah. go? Where did yeah. the house put him? No. Yeah, what? Okay, so in modern day, Allison, Roger tells Mr. Parker, I've decided I'm not going to sell the house. And Mr. Parker is shocked, and he said, well, I hope you reconsider. But Roger said, no, I'm going to stay a while and do some work. So because he can't write at home, and also his son disappeared here, understandably, he takes his computer and he goes up to Aunt Elizabeth's, and he sort of sets up shop there in the living room next to the the, um, swordfish, and he's, like, going to try to finish this book, you know, in the next couple weeks. And he gets up to examine. There's another trophy, like the jaws of some gigantic fish. And he pricks his finger on the tooth of the fish. And he sucks the blood off his finger. Why? And he goes to the second story. So he sucks the blood off. He hears something clatter upstairs. He, of course, goes to the second story. And he hears a woman's voice. And he goes through room by room looking for the voice. Until, of course, he gets to Aunt Elizabeth's room to find her standing there. And she tells him, it tricked me. I didn't think it could, but it tricked me. House? The house. House. House, house. tricked me. House she tricked s- me. She steps on the chair and she pulls down the noose around her neck. And she tells Roger, the house will trick you too. Leave while you can. And jumps and off the chair. Do we think that this is like... Real. Real? Well, in this moment, Roger assumes he's hallucinating. And to be fair to Roger, he's on a lot of psychiatric medication, which we see. Yeah, his son sense. has disappeared. He has just right, gone through divorce. Un- he's right. under an he's insane under amount of, of pressure. And yeah. his and his aunt just died by suicide. Right. Like so, he in sees that, that, and he's like, because it's not threatening. It's just right. sad and scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes and he takes some again a Xanax. He takes whatever his psychiatric medication is, and he goes to sleep. He presumes I'm I'm genuinely losing it. In the morning, he sees a dog digging in the trash, and when he runs out to sort of chase it away, he sees his pretty blonde neighbor, Tanya, jogging by. And she's, like, of course, like an 80s, like, blonde bombshell, you know. He also meets his next-door neighbor, Harold, played by George Went, who walks over and was like, oh, did you just move in here? Oh, my God, the woman who you just moved there was, like, an absolute batshit insane bitch. I hated her. She was such an old hag. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody offed her. And Roger says, okay, great, so that was my aunt. Okay. And Harold's like, oh my God, um, but what, did, what What an incredible artist, what a mind, you know, what an interesting and eccentric, you know? So it seems like a lot of people were like, she sucks. Yeah. But then he realizes, wait, if that was your aunt, then you're Roger Cobb, the famous author. And he's trying to like come up with a paper and he's like dropping shit out of his pockets for Roger to sign, but he has no pen. And so Roger says, hey, you know, I came up here for solitude to try to finish my new book and you want to read the new book, huh? So I say, you leave me alone so I can fucking, you know. And Roger is wearing, so it's like he goes back inside and he's like trying to sit down and write for the evening. He's wearing a deep V-neck sweater, like to the sternum with nothing underneath. And I was like, what an an interesting look. Like even for 80s, it's kind of daring, you know. Yeah, that is bold. Very weird. Um, so when Roger's attempting to write, of course, he's writing about his experience in Vietnam. And we see him, he's sort of young, scared, obviously like teenage Roger in the jungle with his fellow fellow soldiers. And he is friends with this huge guy, play, his name is Ben, and they call him Big Ben. And he is played by Richard Mull, who is, I associate as, of course, Bull, the bailiff on Night Court. Oh, he's been sure. a million, but yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Huge, I know, bald exactly guy. What you're talking about. Yep. 
And um, so they're they're good friends. And and Ben's sort of like this like smart ass, like smoking, like talking too loud. Like and the lieutenant's constantly like, shut the fuck up. You know, like we're in the middle of the jungle, but kind of playing pranks or whatever. So Roger's having this this reverie. And he asks Big Ben, hey, can I have a cigarette? And Ben gives him a box. But when he opens it, there's a little snake in it that Ben found. And Roger freaks out. And Ben's laughing. And he gets chewed out by the lieutenant. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, they're going to find us. Of course, the lieutenant is correct. A grenade is suddenly tossed in the center of their squadron. And Ben, to save Roger, throws himself on Roger. And luckily, everyone survives. But, like, there's this whole— But that's traumatic and— yeah, and Ben Ben did do something heroic to try to save Roger because he caused this. And there ends up they end up in a, a firefight with uh the Viet Cong, and then Roger sort of comes out of it, you know, panicked, obviously remembering all this stuff. Roger looks up in the current day to see the reflection of a reflection of Jimmy in the window. And Jimmy laughs and says, Hi, Daddy, before disappearing. Again, Roger's thinking, okay, I'm having, you know, I'm hallucinating, I'm something. having like a psychiatric issue. And he keeps hearing Jimmy's laughter. And he follows the laughter up the stairs all the way to Aunt Elizabeth's closet. But before he opens the closet, he tells himself, he's like, I, I must be going crazy. And he takes his medication again. He gets ready for bed. He's like, "This, you're having these experiences, but they're not real. And again, I think we're supposed to think because of his experience in Vietnam, like, he had so much trauma that the idea that he's experiencing, again, the hallucination Further, of his yeah. disappeared, his missing son's Child. laughter. Yes. Of course he is. Like, anyone would be experiencing anybody something that, like anybody that. Anybody would. However, he's like, fuck it. And he goes and he opens up the closet, rips it open right as the grandfather clock from an Aunt Elizabeth's painting chimes midnight. When he opens the door, Allison, a gigantic monstrous beast who has a tiny head on a long stalk and a huge body with sort of pointy, grabbing limbs with long fingers. And it's like gray and wet and covered in what looks like leaves and branches. Leap out of him and starts clawing at his chest, trying to drag him into the closet. Allison, at this point, what would you do? What would you do? What would you do? I am running out of house. I am leaving house. Get out of here. I'm out of here, house. Bye, house. I am checking into hospital. Uh Uh-huh. I am upping drugs. Yeah. I am talking to professionals. I am Absolutely. Like, like obviously, there's a lot going on here that's all kind of rooted in stress, pressure, and trauma. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, house can't fix it. Yeah, house seems to be making a bad situation worse. So I would definitely get the fuck out of house. Well, Allison. Until Double Day, they can fuck all the way off. You need an extension. Exactly. Right. I think at that point, if you have to like be like institutionalized for a while, I think Double they Day gotta, can be Yeah, they yeah. got to at least like let you hold on to the advance a little longer to pay for your medical treatment. Hey, pet parents. Are you searching for the perfect place for your dog to play? Check out Camp Bow Wow. Our safe and supervised doggy daycare and boarding ensures your pup gets the socialization they crave while giving you peace of mind. With our certified staff and clean and spacious facilities, your dog will have a blast making friends and staying active. Join the Camp Bow Wow Pack today. Your first day is free. Visit us at CampBowWow.com. Franchise opportunities available. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday 
and French fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Allison, unfortunately, he does not leave house. Much like in Paranormal Activity, instead, he is going to prove that the house is haunted. Because you don't need to prove that. And also prove it to who? Not to, to who? us. We believe you. We believe you. And even if we don't, who cares? Yeah, who cares? But yeah, it's sort of because House he saw cares. this creature, he then buys a bunch of video and recording equipment and he wants to capture the creature. Because this is sort of like evidence that his aunt was right and the creature, it, the house is haunted. And also maybe okay. there's something to do with his um, son's disappearance. Mm. He also dons a full military outfit, like fatigues. And he does like a bunch of Vietnam t- days? Yes. And does a bunch okay. of tactical maneuvers, flipping down the stairs. And then out the front door, and he kind of throws up his hands in sort of a music man moment. And that's where the comedy of it comes through. And you're like, we yeah, don't need it. They don't need it. Harold, need of course, it. is walking his dog just then. And he's like, hey, what, how you doing over there? What's going on? What's, ha- what's happening with all this? <laughs> and Fred is like, oh, um, it's uh, part of my process. It's, uh, that's what, it's a part of my process to get back to Vietnam. And Harold's like, wow, I'd always want to be a writer. It looks so fun, you know? <laughs> That night, night has fallen, so Roger sets up. He's going to pull the closet door open at midnight, and he does sort of a trial run um, and record it. And so, unfortunately, he's also, like, extremely distressed and having men- mental issues, so he's uh, starting to drink a lot. So he's drinking by of midnight. Course. So, of course, when the, the clock chimes, he's taken off guard, and he has to run back open, run back up to the door, uh, and he's about to open it when suddenly Harold arrives and he's bought a six pack and like Chinese food. He's like, Hey, how's it going? I saw you earlier and I was maybe a little concerned. So I thought we, I'd bring a midnight snack because yeah, I saw the lights were on. Your behavior is troubling. And so Roger's like opportunity to open the door is ruined. So he's like, all right, I'll do it again later. You know, and they, yeah. and they do drink some beers and eat Chinese food. And Harold does seem like interested yeah, and be nice. like, yeah. And um, Roger tells Harold his whole life story, his son disappearing, you know, his the aunt dying, his divorce. And he says, Harold, do you believe in ghosts? Because my aunt thought the house was haunted. And Harold's like, no offense, Roger, but your aunt was Looney Tunes. What about me? I don't know. You've been to Vietnam. Lost your only child. Your wife divorced you. I mean, you've got a few marbles rolling around, but right now you seem fine. But of course, Rod, it's not, he's not giving Roger the confirmation, sort of in a night house way. It's like he wants sure. Roger to say ghosts are real and there's a ghost in the closet. Yes. Roger pulls up his shirt and it's he's covered in sort of marks where the where the creature's pointy limbs were stabbing him. At this point, Roger's like, you know, maybe I should go. Maybe this was not a great idea. No, it was not. And so uh, Harold goes home and he does, again, a great, the right thing. He finds the number for Roger's old house where Sandy still lives. And he calls, and he's like, hey, this is really awkward, but I live next to your ex-husband's late aunt, and I think your husband might be having, like, flashbacks or something. He said he can see ghosts. Could you come up here and check on him? Like, it seems like things have sort of gone from bad to worse. Sandy's like, well, shit. Like, um, I have to be on set at 630, but I'll call him, and I'll figure out, like, if I can't go in the morning, I'll go, to like, later tonight or whatever, or tomorrow. And Harold's like, okay, great. And in the meantime, I'll just keep an eye on him, which I think was very nice. And Harold says, well, uh, 
call you if something bad happens, and they hang up, which, of course, like, to think of <laughs> someone saying that about a loved one is so terrifying. Yeah. And so Sandy immediately calls Roger, but um, Roger's back in Vietnam. He's writing the book, so he yes. doesn't answer her calls. And he's recalling a scene where he and his fellow soldiers are walking through the jungle, and no one wants to walk point, which they don't say, but I'm assuming means walk first. So Ben volunteers, and because they're friends, the lieutenant's like, yeah, and make Roger walk in front with you. So they have to walk out ahead of the squad. Again, I don't know any military terms. I'm going to call them a squadron. So they're walking out ahead of everyone up. Roger's freaked out, but Ben is, like, choking, and he's like, Charlie, where are you? While Roger's, like, panicking. And in the in in the current moment, Roger is writing and is like hyperventilating, and he stops just in time to see one of Jimmy's little trucks zoom in from the other room. And that's a very subtle, like, oh no! But luckily, we don't worry about subtle because the the swordfish on the wall suddenly comes alive and oh, starts good. flailing around while Roger As screams and panics. And he runs out to his aunt's studio and he grabs his uncle's shotgun and has like a big handful of flashlights. And a big handful of um, shotgun shells. Allison, in the studio, he, which is also like sort of the tool shed, yeah. he hears a clattering in the dark, only to turn and see all the gardening implements, including a fucking axe and a pair of gigantic, um, the burning style shears, flying across the damn shed at him. Nope. And he nope. barely. Now shed is problem? I thought just now shed. bad. Oh, shed is involved. Shed. <laughs> Shed, and what is a shed if not little house? What is shed if not small house? You know? Small bad house. Big bad house, small bad house. He's able to house make it back into house, and he slams the door behind him, and he sort of drops a bunch of the shotgun shells on the ground while he's trying to load the gun. And he runs to the bathroom to take his meds, right, to be like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm imagining yeah. the swordfish. Yeah. Maybe. Of course, he drops them all into the sink. So now the medication is gone. No. He's able, oh, and he he does eventually blow the swordfish away. But when he goes back into the bathroom, he's lo- trying to get the pills out of the sink. He hears a banging on the bathroom door, Allison. And he opens it, and then the garden implants are just floating in the hallway. And they chase him through the second floor of this house, and he's able to trap them no. inside one of the rooms. No. Call a cab. Get, get out of out house. Of house. And this is the difference between a house and a home. Because, yes, this is a house, but this is not a home. This is not a home. This is not a home. Allison, he runs downstairs to find Sandy arriving because he didn't reply. So So she's she's like, like, what's happening? I'm coming over there to figure out what's going on. Also, it's suddenly morning. Like, when he started at the top of the stairs, it was still night. And he's suddenly opening the door. It's like 7 in the morning. So he's, like, lost time as well. So Sandy's like, why the fuck are you holding a shotgun? And he, we look over and he's like put a, thrown a little like curtain or like a tablecloth over the, the swordfish. Because from her perspective, he's just fucking shooting at the wall, you know? Yeah, right. And he goes, um, oh, well, uh, I was just looking at it. You know, my uncle stuff. And he puts down the shotgun and one of the shells rolls to her side of the table. Sandy bends to pick it up, Allison. Only when she stands up, she is now a hugely fat, wet, gray, squealing, freak version of herself with like a weird nose, like a pig nose, and like like a screaming gray-green skin, um, still wearing the same outfit, but like horrific, like a witch version of her, like a squealing, inhuman witch. A wet witch. Why? Why? A wet? wet witch wife. A wet witch wife. Wet witch wife. Um, 
And she, of course, attacks Roger, and he shoots her twice, sending her flying through the front door. Allison, when he runs down, runs out to the porch, it's just the normal Sandy. Yeah. And he's killed her. Yeah. The shotgun blast, of course, wake up Harold next door. It's 7 in the fucking morning. And he's like, okay, great. And he runs the window. Yeah. Yeah. You know what a shotgun blast sounds like when you're in, like, a quiet suburb. And he's already was already so afraid for Roger, it, like that he called his his ex wife. Like it's like he's already so he runs the door. He sees Roger. Roger's like sobbing, distraught. He cannot see Sandy's body because it's obscured by the shrubs. But he sees that Roger's holding a gun, so he's like he's gonna commit suicide. So he calls Harold does the right thing at every move of this. He calls the police and is like, I am concerned that there there might be a suicide attempt. I heard two. Um, shotgun blasts, but my my neighbor needs help. The police roll up, and Roger barely has enough time to hide Sandy's body in the crawl space under the stairs. So not only are the cops there, but Harold has, like, invited himself to be a part of this and is, like, over on the lawn trying to, like, figure out what's going on. When the cops come, he's like, oh, you know what? I was cleaning the shotgun, and I didn't check if it was loaded, so it did go off, but everything's fine. I'm fine. And the cops, because um, I guess because he's a white man, believe him. And um, Sure, no, they must. They also don't seem to be at all um, concerned that he might be uh, a danger to himself. You know what I mean? Obviously. It was the 80s. Nobody's doing anything about suicide. So uh, they just give him a citation. And one of them's cool. like, oh, my God, are you Roger Cobb, the author? Oh, Can I ask God. you for a favor? And Roger's like— Enough. Yes, could I have a pen? And the, the officer says, can I use your bathroom? Which, again, I, was a funny moment to have that Roger be a- like, oh, yeah, you could use the bathroom. Wait, well, that reminds me really quick to take us out of this. But, like, uh, years and years and years ago, I was doing this, like, uh, comedy show in, like, a loft. And it was just a bunch of people who, like, they had planned it. It was, like, they were all friends. They were all, like, early 20s. It was, like, very, like, like, young kids be like, this is an activity. It basically was, like, a house party where comedy was happening, like, near Union Square. And so, like, I was the only woman, and, like, there were a lot of girls there. So I, like, had a great set. And as I was, like, walking to the back of the room, every single girl was like, oh, my God, you're amazing. Like, oh, my God, I'm obsessed with you. You're so, like, just kind of that. Like, And I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, as I was walking back, like, kind of through the crowd. And then I was, like, standing in the back with um, Jared Freed and Nimesh Patel, like, to... Uh, comedy guys and uh this girl Name came up drop. to me i know sorry um we were all really doing great then and this girl came up to me and she was like uh and i was like thank you and she goes is this the bathroom and oh. i was like mm. and they were both like oh my god Allison. and i was like well you know everyone else had said something nice and i just finished that's that, devastating so. but also i'm glad other people saw it because i too. almost feel like it would be worse if it was just you like to carry yeah, that at least like, a comedian's <sighs> gonna make fun of you yeah, and it's like okay you can, like joke about it or whatever but it was just yeah. it's very like the same thing of like here we go again. You're going to tell me how great Ugh. I am or like whatever. Yeah, I'll and then stop somebody right there. being like, can I pee here? Um, yeah, that's incredible. But yeah, so he lets the cops in and Harold in to use the restroom. Of course, Harold's just like, what's going on? You know, wants to be involved. And it, once they're inside, Roger realizes he left the crawl space ajar. So he runs over to try to hide oh, good. There's a crawl Sandy's space body. I know. Well, it's, it's specifically to put Sandy's body in. So yeah. you have to have a crawl space. Sandy's body has to For go somewhere. your ex-wife's body. <laughs> Come on, Allison. Yeah, where are you going to put your ex-wife's body? Think about it. <laughs> um, and so you offer some coffee, and they all accept. And Harold's all like, I'll also have coffee. And it's like, God damn it. Jesus okay. Christ. But, of course, on the ground, they go to the kitchen, and um, Roger sees that the shotgun shells he dropped when he was being chased by sentient garden tools. 
it fell on the ground. And to be nice, Harold sort of like grabs them up and like, you know, tries to hide them. But one of the officers like, what what the hell is this? I, you have to remember never to clean a loaded gun. They're still thinking that he's like, again, a responsible gun over who just happened to be drunk right. cleaning his gun. Like there's you know? nothing else going on here. Um, so eventually they start to leave. And one of the officers sees another painting on the wall and it's a nude woman being terrorized by the garden implements. So it's like implying like the ant also saw the flying garden implements. Oh, interesting. Um, when the cops go to leave, Roger turns around and realizes his gun is missing. And she, he goes, oh my God, my gun. But when they ask him like, well, what's wrong? It's like, how do you explain to them like, uh, house took gun. House took gun. <laughs> and he turns and the door to the crawl space is creaking open again. So he's like, okay, all right, goodbye. All right, thanks for stopping by. I'm good. Bye-bye. He grabs a fireplace poker in lieu of the gun. And he throws open the crawl space and Sandy's body is gone. <gasps> and he hears, of course, some. Th- and Harold also leaves. He's basically like uh, being forced out by Roger. And Roger goes up to his aunt's room only to see the closet door quickly close. So he's thinking, did whatever come out of there take Sandy's body? Of course, when he goes to open it... Logically, the, that makes sense. The huge, grotesque, wet witch version of his wife leaps up behind him and knocks him to the ground and puts the shotgun to his back of his head and said, Where's your son, Roger? You'll never find him. <laughs> He's dead! <gasps> and she fires the gun, Allison. But fortunately, it's empty. Okay. So Roger's able to escape into the hallway and then... As the witch is chasing him, and he throws open the door to the, like, the facing, the door that's facing the door to his aunt's room across the hallway. So then, and he ducks out of the way. So as he does, the garden implements, who were, which were still there, fly out and decapitate and dismember the witch wife. Okay. So Roger really thought that through. Yes. However, he's then going to do something where I'm like, can't you just put her in the closet or put her in the, uh, like, basement or something? Yeah. Instead, he buries her head in the backyard and then is trying to drag the body down in a tarp. It is the it is 1 p.m. Like it no, is the middle of the this day. Is, this is for nighttime. This is a nighttime activity. And you as wait he, till the dark of night, and then you right? can move bodies around willy-nilly. And so um as he does, uh he's dragging the body down. It's obviously a, ba- a body wrapped in a tarp, right? He gets the body down and he looks up and his hot neighbor Tanya is swimming in the pool. And I want to say she's Swedish or Spanish, which is like, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry. Your aunt always let me swim. I hope that's okay. okay. I hope you are as nice as your aunt. You sure seemed like it. Um, and she said, what's that, a sapling? And Roger goes, yeah, it's an mm-hmm. apricot tree. Um, as they chat and Tanya's like laying it on, you're like, oh, I read you were divorced. Like clearly like putting the hard press yeah. onto him. And um, we see the witch wife's arm reach out from under the tarp and start grabbing Roger's shoe. So he has to, like, kick it out, like, back under the tarp. <laughs> and it's, like, grabbing his shoe and he starts stepping on it. And um, he's like, you know, I'm just so busy. I was, you know, um, and she, yeah, I just got to finish this yard work. And she, he says, like, well, how about I stop by later? And I'd love to get together for a play date. And he's like, sure, sure, yeah, stop by later. No problem, you know. And he goes, and she leaves, and finally he gets to the corpse, and he takes the axe, which I guess is like all the guard elements are still buried in, her, in the witch body. So he starts hacking up the witch, so that next thing we know, he's surveying the various holes he's dug. So he's hacked her up and buried different parts in the yard, which I feel like it only makes sense to hack up a body if you're going to put the pieces different places. Yeah, just to... If you think you're making it or... easier for people to yeah. find, right? Yeah. But again, what are they going to say if they find that big witch? I don't know. Yeah. Of course, he's staring at the pool that night in a reverie, thinking of Jimmy, only to turn around and see Harold's dog has dug up the witch wife's hand. 
and just bolts down the block. And Roger tries oh. to find him. Of course, he can. He tries to find his car keys to, like, chase the dog in a car. There's a knock at the door, Allison, and it's Tanya, who's just, like, all done up. And she's like, ooh, are you ready for that play date? And then she lifts up her son, Roger, who's a toddler and is adorable, and she's like, thanks, because I have a date tonight, and I would thank you so much for watching my kid. Literally forces oh. this toddler into Robert's. Robert is still covered in witch wife blood and Devastating. dirt. And it's like, what are you talking about? Also, she just met this man. And it's right. like, this. yeah, it's it's not great. And as Robert sort of scampers through the living room, um, and also the toddler's name is Robert Roger. It's like it's too similar. No, no. Just You wrote this. Just pick a different name. When Robert, the toddler, scampers away while Tanya's like, here's his diaper bag, here's his blanket, here's his binky. I'll be back by 11. Don't worry. He's going to fall asleep. He's tired. You know, he's going on all day. Roger sees that the witch wife, or the witch hand, which the dog had carried off, is now clinging to Robert, the toddler's back. So Roger has to chase him through the first floor, trying to have do- Tanya not see. And that's why I'm like, why would you want, why do you care if Tanya sees the witch right, wife's hand? I would hand? want them to see it and be like, hey, a ghoul. Right. Exists. Isn't this evidence that you are right? Like, right. I don't get it. You know, nobody's going to be like, oh, you killed the witch wife. You're an asshole. Like, no, you were supposed yeah. to. It's a demon. So basically, he t- grabs Robert, takes him to the bathroom, and he tries to pull the witch hand off, has to bite the witch's hand to make it release. But from Tanya's perspective, a strange man just grabbed her toddler son and ran to a bathroom. But Tanya's like, anyways, I got a hot date. Good luck. Okay, I'll be back. Like, she could give a fuck. Either this guy's, right. like, sweating and dirty and just took her child into a bathroom. Like, I, I, and that's, that's, like, the best possible version of what's going on. But And Roger's still so stunned that she, like, gives him all of, of Robert's stuff. And it's like, okay, great. See you later tonight. Robert, as soon as his mother sure. starts leaves, starts sobbing, and Roger, you know, of he course. had a son, so Roger is very nice, and he, like, rocks back and forth, and then he puts on Sandy's soap opera, which is called Resorts, because it's set, like, at a resort, which is fun. <laughs> Would watch. And little Robert gets sleepy, and Roger sort of, like, tucks him and puts him on the couch to snooze, and then, like, goes to be at his computer. So they're still in the same room. Allison, go to a fucking hotel. It's fine if your house is haunted. If you have a toddler in a haunted house— Yes. Why not go to a hotel for the night? I don't get that to be like, this is That's on you very then. confusing. Like, it's one thing if you're going to be like, I'm battling this this whole thing. But like, to bring somebody else's kid into the mix. Roger, of course, because he's working on the book, he's remembering Vietnam. And he and Ben are out and still in front of the squadron acting as lookouts. Suddenly there's a spray of gunfire and Ben is hit. And in a real, and, you know, in current day, Roger stops again. He's distraught at the memory of Ben being shot by um, the Viet Cong. And when he looks up, Robert is no longer on the couch. He is, of course, gone into house. And so Roger runs upstairs just as time it's to see two horrifying mutant children with wide grins haul Robert up a fireplace. Allison, who will survive house? Who will survive? Oh, I mean, House is really doing a number on people. It's doing the most. Doing the most. I think, I think that Rob, now I'm like, is it Robert or Roger? Adult? Main Adult character. Roger. 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 I think that Roger and Robert will both make, like, he will get the kid out in time to give it back to his neighbor who has clearly no boundaries when it comes to childcare. <laughs> um, I think. We might see Harold get kind of caught up in house and and bye bye. 
Great. But then I think in the end that I, 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 I would like to see that Roger defeats House. Okay, great. And survives and maybe destroys House. Fabulous. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday, and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion, and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling, and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. So, um, luckily, Roger is able to grab Robert's feet and has a tug of war with a toddler's body between himself and these terrifying children who are, like, trying to suck this child up a, a fireplace. And what's kind of fun is, like, obviously they don't shoot it with the actual kid. Like, whatever they did was, like, they're gently pulling the toddler. So yes. when they cut to Robert, he has a big smile on his face because he's having fun because he doesn't know what's going on, <laughs> which I do think was really cute. That's really fun. Um, so finally, Roger's able to win, drags Robert down, gives him a bath, and they have, like, a very, like, sweet, like, ah, I remember when I used to have a kid before the house ate him or whatever. And finally, Tanya comes home, and Robert gets to leave and, God willing, survive. And I'm like, good job, Roger. Like, Thank God. You protected a child. You know, you really did it. And, you know, yes. I hope that, like, really That's fortifies so cool. him. I don't know if that yes. was intentional, but, you know, it is. Uh, part of it, you know. And finally, it's almost midnight, and Roger's like, I'm going to fucking film this creature, and then I'm leaving this house. Like, I'm going to prove that this house is haunted. And so he, he calls Harold over, saying, like, oh, we're going to watch a midnight movie or whatever. When Harold yeah. arrives, because Harold's been very down, like, he doesn't believe in ghosts. He's, like, not believing him. So when he comes over, Roger says, you know what? Um, you're right, it wasn't a monster, like I said. It actually is a giant raccoon. Oh, it's the nastiest thing. So what I want you to do is I'm going to pull open the door and I'm going to have like a, a, essentially a children's mattress between me and the door is like a shield. And I want you to take my uncle's harpoon gun, which I've attached a rope to, and I want you to shoot the raccoon the second I open the door. But don't shoot me. And the harpoon has a rope attached to it. So if the raccoon tries to run, we've got it. And Harold says, yeah, it seems reasonable enough. Okay. (laughs) Sure, Sure, I'm in. Why not? That's, that's a good neighbor. So finally, Allison, at the stroke of midnight, Roger again hiding behind a children's mattress, opens the door, and the fucking creature leaps out. And because yeah. he has not properly warned Harold, he is so horrified. He is frozen. He does his fire. He just goes, ah! Which is my reaction. <laughs> like, don't tell me if it's a raccoon when it's like a gigantic right, like, fucking troll. Like a, like a spider me. troll or whatever the fuck it is. Let me decide yeah. if I want to believe the truth or not. But don't be like, yeah. it's a raccoon. Like, ah, it's kind of like a fat little weirdo. Right. And it's like, no, it's a giant menacing troll. Yeah, like, bigger than a human that could kill you. Fi- no, no. Finally, in a panic, Harold gets a shot off. The harpoon does not stop the creature at all. It is not even slowed down. 
And Roger screams, shoot him again. And Harold's like, the line's attached. I don't know how to reload a harpoon. Yeah, what? You talk? Shoot him again. What? Shoot him with what? There's no other harpoon. <laughs> and Roger screams, what the hell, Harold? Which I just don't think is fair. Like, Harold's been nothing but a friend to you. To put this on Harold is not it is fair. It's not his fault. But unfortunately, the line is still attached to the harpoon. So as the creature retreats into the closet... Roger's foot becomes entangled in the rope and he is dragged into the closet behind bye it. Bye. And yeah, Harold right. grabs his hand and Harold says, I will never let go. I promise you. I and then of course the creature just drags Roger off. Because it's like it's huge. It has supernatural strength, Harold. I'm sorry. So Roger's dragged back to, you guessed it, Vietnam. Um, and he realizes, of course, that he's back in the night where Ben has been shot. And he is re-experiencing this, you know horrific moment in his life that has obviously sort of, you know, colored the rest of his life is sort of what we're, is emerging about this theme. And Ben says, because he's already been shot and he's most likely going to be captured um, by Vietnamese soldiers, he says to him, um, I want you to kill me rather than let me suffer or taken prisoner. Allison he doesn't even, neither of them have uh, gunners or ammunition at this point because right. they are like been fleeing from gun gunfire. Right. All Ben has is a knife. And oh, yeah. Roger says, I can't do it. Allison, do you think you could kill someone in this situation? Not with a knife. Not with a knife. I think like in a life or death scenario with a gun or something, like I think that that's like a little, like just the physical distance and the the detachment, I think, that you have from what's happening and how fast it happens. In Could a, you, again, in a in a war, maybe. Right. Maybe. But, like, right. not, yeah. 100% not with a knife. Yeah, I guess the question then is, like, do you think you could kill someone if they asked you to kill them? Allison, I be honest. Know. It would be really hard. I, I, I just think but it's, I also, like... But also, like, if you want to die, who am I to stand in your life? I think it's like to me, and I'll be honest. Maybe this is so more. This is probably too morbid for the pod. But it's like if someone was, say, terminally ill, and was basically, mm-hmm. like, could you get me enough medication that I could die? That 100%. I feel like you know, because then it's like Absolutely. they would be able to take it. They're right. they're consenting to it. We're having a conversation about it. Yeah. This kind of situation where it's like Ben is assuming that he is going to be killed or tortured. You know, we have, like, the John McCain's of the world where it's like they were POWs and it was horrible, but he got to come, come have a whole other life. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he he was held and, and he got to leave. And so to me, I'd be like, well, we don't know if you're going to die, so I don't want to be responsible for being right. the one who makes the definitive decision. And I'll be honest, there's a true crime story. Now. Well, please message me, because like, obviously I'm not going to remember the name. But there's this horrible story about these two guys who got lost in, like, a California desert-type um, natu- national forest. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them ended up dying, and the other one was found two hours later. And it turns out the one who was found had m- mercy killed, in huge quotation marks, Right. The other person. Now, I want to be clear, we will never know exactly what happened. Right. However, they were out there so long, it seemed like it could have been a situation where the other person had been injured and was like, just do it, not knowing that they had finally gotten close enough to a place where they were going to receive help within yeah. a matter of right. hours. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you just never want, I'm so, yeah, and I, yeah. I, I, and I would never ask somebody to do that for me. I'll tell you yeah. right now. And if I ever do ask you, you feel free to say no, because yeah, I'm clearly same. not in my right mind. We're both going to just let each other die. 
not, not commit. That anything. seems fine. Yeah, exactly. Fine. But so, and Roger says that she's like, I can't do this. You know, I I'm gonna go get help. That's what I plan to do. As soon as Roger gets 10 steps away, Ben is taken away by the Viet Cong. He's screaming, I'll get you for this, Roger. I swear I will. Again, I don't think that's fair to put on Roger. Yeah. And again, it's wartime. Like, I, I don't know how anyone makes any sort of decision like that. I mean, like, if you're in wartime, your decision, your default should be, I won't kill someone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It should be a, a, away from it rather than, ah, I see what you're saying. I'll just go ahead and kill you. I just don't. I think that Roger made the right choice. Yes. And even if he didn't, you can't be mad about somebody about that. Unfortunately, we see Roger run through the jungle looking for help. And instead, he sees the glowing light of the closet door. And he barely makes it through as sort of like gunfire surrounds him. And he flies through the door and he's back in his aunt's house. Mm -hmm. And when he turns around, it's just a closet again. So uh, the passage is only open for a minute, I guess, at midnight. So he gets back and he wakes up Harold, who is passed out because he was just he would just immediately start drinking an insane amount of whiskey. As you must, yeah. as you would in that situation. Like I, I, like my neighbor was just dragged into the void and disappeared by a creature. He wakes up and he's elated, but he's also incredibly drunk. So Roger puts him to bed. Roger goes into his childhood home, which has, like, you know, his little, like, tiny bed and, like, toys, which also was Jimmy's room when he stayed. So he gets—he lies down on his bed, which is also Jimmy's bed, and he just cries. He breaks down. And then he realizes something, something, of course, that we clocked at the beginning. He goes back into the studio outside, and he takes the rag off the picture, and he sees who is in the image uh, of the bathroom mirror. It's Jimmy. So Roger runs to the bathroom mirror, but of course it's just a mirror. Right. However, when he grabs a stool and shatters the mirror, it becomes like a sucking, like a wind tunnel yes. void, a howling sure. void. As it would. And it and emerging from it, Allison, it looks like an octopus tentacle made out of human vertebrae that grabs Roger well. and wrenches him towards the window, and he's trying to fight it. And then dozens of different kind of monster hands start grabbing him and dragging him in. And as before he gets totally pulled in, Roger's able to grab a straight razor and he starts hacking at the hands, like causing them to retreat. And he calls to Jimmy and we can see the side. It's sort of similar to as someone who is Allison has, of course, seen get out like that moment where um, he is in the um, sunken place. Mm hmm. And yeah. he sees the window of his yes. eyes as like a little tiny window high yes. up. So in this case, we see from the void, we see the bathroom mirror as a little tiny window. Again, very effective. Yes. And Roger decides he's going to lower himself into the void through the bathroom mirror. So he gets a rope and he ties it to the sink and he gets a shotgun and he lowers himself into the void. He is, of course, Allison, immediately attacked by, you guessed it, a pterodactyl with a skull for a head. Oh, of course. And yeah. if that wasn't bad enough, that damn pterodactyl steals his gun. Ah, what a pest. And, and he fires the gun and it, it severs Roger's rope, sending Roger plummeting and he falls into a pit of water. He sees what seems to be a person in the water and he dives down only to emerge in, you better believe we're back in Vietnam. And he finds Jimmy in a bamboo cage. And Jimmy warns him, he's coming back. And Roger said, I'm going to get you out of here. He's able to get Jimmy out. And they dive into the water only to swim out into the swimming pool in the backyard of Aunt Elizabeth's house. Right. 
and they hug and triumphant music plays as Roger takes his son, who has returned to him. But Alice and I looked, and there were only 10 minutes left. I was like, well, that's no. that's simply too much time for this to no. be the ending. No, it is too much. So Roger takes Jimmy, they're both soaking wet, through the house, and they walk through it, and they're about to, o- they open the front door to leave, and standing there is the corpse of Big Ben. And he is like a desiccated, like, skeleton, half corpse, flesh, half skeleton, with like a helmet and fatigues on. And Roger finally realizes, wait, you're the one who took my son? And Ben shouts, why didn't you kill me? They tortured me for weeks. And Roger said, I loved you. You're my friend. I would have died for you, Ben. And Ben says, well, now's your chance. And Roger slams the door, because what do you say to that? Nothing. And tells Jimmy to run while he, like, essentially is going to have to battle the undead version of Big Ben. Yeah. Unfortunately, the back door immediately is jammed shut supernaturally, and Jimmy can't leave. And he has to watch as um, Big Ben comes in and tries to fight Roger. But the thing is, Big Ben is, first of all, huge. Second of all, he is a skeleton and helmet fatigues. Like, I don't know right, how you like, fight that guy. How do you, you know? fight that? What are even the injuries you can inflict? How do you know when he's dead? He's already dead. Exactly. Right. How do you kill the undead? Uh, an yeah. eternal question in these films. Yes, yes. Jimmy at least runs upstairs to hide, and Roger essentially escapes up the stairs to try to do the same. Roger is forced out onto the roof while Ben sort of hunts him through the house. And Roger makes it back inside, but of course Big Ben grabs him, throws him down the stairs, and he screams, you can't get rid of me, Roger. You never could, and you never will. And now they're just fucking hand-to-hand fighting. Luckily, Roger's able to rip Ben's arm off, because he's a corpse, and just beating him with it. Unfortunately, when Ben snatches it back, he's just able to reattach it. Again, he does not play by human rules. And Ben tries to run out the front door, only to almost fall to his death. He, he trips and he grabs a ledge, and there's no front yard, Allison. It's a sheer drop-off into the ocean. Oh. And so Roger is hanging by one arm, and Ben laughs as he crushes Roger's fingers under his boot. And he's sort of, you know, like, I've, you know, finally, he says to him a few years ago, you had a chance to kill me. And now I get to kill your little boy. Fortunately, because he's sort of like giving himself a moment to be proud of himself or coming back to the dead to terrorize this man who, again, yeah. isn't even the person who killed him. Like, I mean, like right. the implication is like that he died from torture months later. Why not be mad at those guys? Yeah, I don't go know. Yeah, them in, in some other kind of house. And then it, why do you be mad at the American government for sending you over sending there in the first place? To fight a war you know? that was unnecessary, yes. Um, fortunately, because Ben is sort of holding court, Roger's able to get his belt off, creates a little loop out of it, and lassos Ben's hand and yanks Ben over the cliff into the water. Roger's able to pull himself back inside, and Jimmy calls to him. And when he runs to find Jimmy, unfortunately, we find Ben is holding a sobbing Jimmy up like a fish. And Ben says, A few years ago, you had a chance to kill me. Now I'm going to kill your little boy unless you kill yourself. And I think that's what we're supposed to think. Like, that's what Aunt Elizabeth says. Yes. Like, she says the house can trick you. Yeah. So like it's I, like trying. Yes, I see. So maybe her suicide was also from house. Yes. How I think house tricked her I, probably around Jimmy. We, I don't think we ever really, we don't really find out, like, what she was what experiencing happened? or yeah, seeing. Yeah. But I think that, like, this is, the house is creating this scenario in which you will kill yourself. And so um, instead, Ben reaches out and he takes like his like service knife, I don't know what you call it, and he lops off Roger's hand, but then Roger looks down and realizes it's not really gone. 
This mm-hmm. is an illusion, mm-hmm. which I think it begs the question, how is Jimmy back? But we're not going to get into that. So he grabs yeah. Jimmy and he tells Ben, you can't hurt me or my son. And Ben's like, no, you figured out the whole thing about the house. And Roger reaches up and grabs one of the grenades off of Ben's vest and pulls the pin and sort of jams it into Ben's rib cage. And he's able to escape into the hallway and get down the stairs before Ben explodes, blowing the door off the bedroom and setting the whole house alight. Just as Sandy actually arrived, because oh, that witch that was never her. Real, okay. And Harold runs out of his house to be like, oh, well, fuck, I was right. This motherfucker, I shouldn't have left him. Like, you know, I was too drunk. I should have stayed there. Sandy is overjoyed as she watches Roger Roger carry Jimmy out of the house. Mm -hmm. And also, like in typical movie wife fashion, she doesn't say, what the fuck happened? Where was he? Right. And she and Roger smile at each other as the house burns down behind them. The house... Wow. Allison, thoughts? Thoughts, feelings? Well, very house. Very. Oh, very house. Very house. Um, I mean, a, a wild ride for a movie about a house. Yeah. But, you know, I'm glad it all worked out. Glad it all worked house. You know, I always say that. It all worked house. Um, and what are some fatal mistakes you think some people may have made in the movie house? Fatal mistakes. I think there's some big, like, not dealing with your past and managing your own uh, depression and psychiatric health and all of... I think that those things are pretty big in this Mm -hmm. film. Um, Going back to house. Yeah. Like, staying at house. And what the house represents so much. House is so much. House really represented a lot of different things. House is everything. But I'm glad the kid is back. I, um, yeah, that's the only thing where I'm like, oh, it's an allegory about how his experience in Vietnam affected his relationship with his son and his and, trauma yeah. and over. And he's like finally done with it and therefore can be with his family again in a real way. Right. So I accept that as an allegory. And the fact that it's literally true, I'm like, ah, it's, it's not like, that important to me, I sure. guess. I guess. Because once you were like, okay, but where was Jimmy, though? Right. Really, you know. It all all falls apart. Yeah. um, Yeah, that's the only thing. Um, I do, this thing is like, like, Harold got too involved for his own safety, but also he did the right thing. He was being a good neighbor. He he really checked, he picked up on something and he was really trying to see it through. And even agreeing to shoot a raccoon with a harpoon, not the best decision, but I think he was like, okay, I'm trying to, Something. Hang out with this guy and and form a bond with him. And and Harold, as a result, got to survive because I think he made the right choices. Yes. And, um, yeah. Where would you place a house on the spooky scale, Allison? A spooky scale. This feels like a real two or a three. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of hijinks. It's a lot of falling down and throwing yourself around. So not quite as scary. But I do think that a missing child is a very scary concept and, you know, the aunt killing herself and the, the trauma of being in war. Like, those things are all pretty real and I I can see how that could be scary, but I think just as a film, houses too. A film, yes. I'm going to give it a one because I do think there are very creepy ideas and images. Like, I think the, like, 
the idea for of like regretting or being haunted by not killing your friend during a war is yes. horrific. horrific. Like we have to do um, Jacob's Ladder. I believe that's about yes. the Vietnam War. Yes. Um, and you know, and other things like having a child disappear, awful. awful. A, an elderly family member um, dying by suicide, awful. But it is treated so goofily that yes. the, even the awful things, you're like, oh, you're really like, like the idea of like of someone going, not knowing whether they're hallucinating or, or whether it's just yeah. trauma. Again, very scary. But then when sort of a big, goofy, fat, wet yeah. witch wife shows up, you're like, all right, well, I'm not, right, well, that's I'm not scared of that. Not it, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so I think it's a two. I'm going to give it a yeah. two. Two feels right. And um, yeah, well, Allison. That's House. Thank you That's for coming house. to House with me. And yeah, you at home, house. hope you enjoyed House. And, um, you know, um, we'll see you soon again. Yes. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon if you have. If yes. not, we, we got room Go for one more. Yes. And uh, and as always, we're still on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Ruined Podcast. So we're going to try and continue the good work we're doing there. And... <laughs> We're doing our best. And isn't that, doing, isn't that sad to know that we really are doing our best? We are doing our best, and that's to where To see someone are. do their best and have it be this. Uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny it to think it. about. Yeah, well, until next week. Until next week. Please. For more house stuff. Uh, keep it spooky. Keep it house. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling, And the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.